Let's open our Bibles, please, to the 119th Psalm. And we got down through verse 120. And we'll pick up with verse 121. This uh, particular section, these eight verses, have to do with God's servant. In fact, the word servant is mentioned several times here. But God's servant had dealt justly with others, and he appeals to the Lord to deal thus with him. In verse 121, he says, I have done judgment and justice. Then he says, leave me not to mine oppressors. In other words, when we do the best we can, God will do for us what uh, is always his ability and what he's accustomed to do is take our side and to, and to take care of us. The Bible says, for with what, with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And so we want to be understanding that uh, we need God's uh, uh, justice toward us or God's mercy toward us. And if we deal with others in the proper way, God will deal with us in the proper way. In verse 122, Be surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. God's servant makes a plea for surety and for divine protection. And we need God's protection and we need God's surety in all things in our life. If he didn't stand by us, we'd be in a terrible fix. And then if you look at the last part of that verse it says let not the proud oppress me and we have to pray that God will not let the proud oppress us more than is necessary of course we know that the proud do try to oppress all of God's people Uh, verse 123 says mine eyes fail for thy salvation and he says uh, and for the word of thy righteousness the servant's eyes failed yet his heart still longed for right to prevail and he knew that right would prevail in verse uh, 124, he says, Deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy. God's servant pleads for mercy. And teach me thy statutes. He was always saying throughout this uh, psalm, Teach me. If we ask God to deal with us in mercy, we ask him also to teach us uh, the things he would have us to know. Verse 125, it says, I am thy servant, give me understanding, that I may know thy testimonies. Now then, uh, we might put this in the reverse sometimes and say uh, that I might know thy testimonies and give me understanding. But in order to understand God's testimonies, he must give us the understanding. I am thy servant. And so here we have the servant's request for understanding and knowledge. Not just knowledge, but understanding and knowledge. Some people have knowledge with no understanding. We might say that borders on having Knowledge without any wisdom, too. So you need both of these things. And uh, in verse 126, he says, It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. It is time for the master to act. Do, sometimes do we feel like that now we've done all we can, it's time for God to do something. 127, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold. The love for God's word should be above the love for gold. In Psalm 19, remember what we said, that it was to be desired above all things. Let me turn back to the 19th Psalm. And notice what it says here. It says in verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. So we find God's judgments, God's commandments, God's word is above all of these things. And we need to love His commandments above gold. Would you say that you love God's commandments above gold? 
above material things? Do we love God's Word above any and everything of value? It's more valuable to us than all that we might possess in this life. God's Word and God's commandments. Yea, above fine gold. In verse 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. God's Word is right and true and correct and upright. And I hate every false way. God's Word gives us understanding and, and when we love God's Word, it causes us to detect that which is false and which is evil. Remember it was said of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. You see, there's always two sides to, to God's uh, character. There's a side of love that He loves righteousness. There's a side of hate and abhorrence and hate iniquity. Hebrews 1 verse 9. Now then I want us to look at this next little section of eight verses. And here are the wonders of God's Word. That had to do basically with God's servant. And now the wonders of God's Word. Look at verse 129. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. In other words, God's Word is wonderful. It's wonderful as far as its promises are concerned. When you think, uh, uh, Peter says, the exceeding great and precious promises. Isn't that wonderful that God's promises are exceeding great and precious? And then His wonderful truths. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It says, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. That's in John 17. And then, wonderful in its revelations. Isaiah 42 verse 9 says, New things do I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. See, God knows what's going to be before it happens. And He's given, he's given us the revelation of future things here. Some people get carried away and misunderstand some of the things. But nevertheless, they're here. He's given us His revelation of the future. And sometimes we pry into things that we ought not to pry into if we'll just take the statements and the facts of God's Word and let it go at that instead of trying to incorporate all the ideas that we think ought to be involved in our future or to be over-anxious about it ourselves and to try to seek out what's going to happen tomorrow. James says, you know not what shall be on tomorrow. What is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth a little time and then vanisheth away. And so we're, we're bound to trust in God's revelations. And it's wonderful in its stories. You read the 11th chapter of Hebrews and it says, By faith, what? By faith, Abraham. By faith, first of all, by faith, uh, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, uh, Abraham. And right on down, they move with fear. Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, condemned the world because of his faith in God. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained, listen, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Well, he was the same as Cain. Abel was. They were both born of sinful parents. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Listen, God testifying of his gifts. It was because he offered by faith that God said, you're righteous and I'm going to give you righteousness because you believed and you offered that sacrifice that, that God commanded. And so it's wonderful in its stories. You could go and take the whole 11th chapter of Hebrews and you could find all the stories of the heroes of faith. So we find it says in verse 129 uh, in our text, 
Thy testimonies are wonderful. Therefore doth my soul keep them. We need to keep God's word. And then in verse uh, 130, we see the effect of God's word when when it's received. It dispels doubt and fear. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. God's word uh, gives understanding. It makes wise the simple. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. It makes us wise unto salvation. It is to be gladly received. Acts 2 verse 41, it says, They that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day the Lord added to them about 3,000 souls. So we find that uh, God's word is to have its effect upon our hearts and lives. The entrance of thy words. When God's word enters, what does it do? It giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. In verse 131, I opened my mouth... And panted, for I long for thy commandments. It produces in us a desire and a hunger. A desire for holiness. He says, I opened my mouth and panted. He gets the picture from the, the stag or the deer out in the forest after running and jumping and uh, being desirous for uh, the water brooks. My soul panteth after the water brook. It says, I pant after the water brooks. My soul panteth after God, after thee, O God. And so we have a hunger and a thirst, for I long for thy commandments. You know, you and I ought to have a desire for holiness. We ought to have a desire for God's word to take complete charge of us. In verse 132, look thou upon me, look at this. Look thou upon me, and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do to those that love thy name. It produces a desire for the Lord's favor. He says, look on me, Lord. And he says, look upon me and be merciful. And he says, because you used to do that to all those that love your name. He wanted to have the same, uh, he wanted the Lord to have the same mercy toward him as he'd shown toward others. The Lord is still looking for men to show special favors to, as he used to do. When we say, look, look, look thou upon me. Do you ever say, look thou upon me and treat me like you treat all the rest of your children and ha- have done so in their, in their times of trial and trouble when you know how God has delivered many? We say, God, do this for me as you've done for them. Look thou upon me. A desire for the Lord's favor. I, I, I'd rather have the Lord's favor than anyone's favor, hadn't you? And then it says in verse 133, Order my steps in thy word. And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. It produces a desire for divine leadership. It says, order my steps in thy word. Every step I take, I want it to be directed by your word. And then he says, and here's the negative side, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Remember, Paul said in the book of Romans, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. You know, sin is sin, whether we get committed or the most wicked person, the unsaved person, does or not. And we don't want sin to have dominion over us. If we're children of God, we want, and we know His grace is sufficient, and we know we're not under the law, but we're under grace. But it says here, order my steps in thy word, and let not any, any iniquity have dominion over me. I want to be able to have self-control 
by the strength and power of God. I want to be able to, to resist temptation. I want to be able to live for God. I want my steps ordered in thy word. And it's through steps and it's by steps that we go through this life. You know, we just don't take one giant step like they did on the moon and think that's all there was. Right? And all of life's uh, journey is accomplished. No. We go step by step. And he says, order my steps in thy word. In other words, as I progress through this life, every step that I take, I want it to be directed by your word. And we need that in our home life. We need that in our social life, in our business life. We need that all, always to have our steps ordered by God's Word. And then, it, on the other side, let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Look at verse 134. It says this, Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. It creates a desire to be uh, re- delivered and free of the oppression of men. The Bible says, You're bought with the price. Be not ye the servants of men. Paul said to the Corinthians. You're bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Paul said in another place, Do I seek to please men or God? Now if we seek to please men, we'll be men pleasers. And that's all we'll get done, is go around trying to please everybody. Well, I want to be uh, compatible with other folks. I want to try to be friendly with other folks. I want to try to love everyone. And I want them to love me. And the Bible says, He that hath friends must show himself friendly. But we cannot be the servants of men to the extent that we try to please every false thing that comes along in the world. We can't uh, hobnob with all uh, error and sin. And uh, in the religious world, we have to take our stand and be separate. You see, we can't fellowship with all uh, the various kinds of uh, religious activity in the world that are not scriptural. We have to take our stand for God. And if there's error, you know, everyone, uh, if you belong to different denominations, different churches, if a person saved by the grace of God, that's well and good. That person is our brother and sister. But we cannot endorse some of the doctrines that some of the churches teach. And, and when we go along with them uh, in, in what they uh, teach, then we're compromising our convictions. And we can't do that. Just like I have brothers and friends, Christian brothers. Some of them are Christian, some of them are not. In various denominations throughout the community. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to that church and I'm going to worship the way they do and believe that if they teach a salvation by works that I can say amen to it. I can't say amen to that. You know, there's a lot of things I can't say amen to. And when you're sitting in the pew uh, and you are hearing the, the message come forth, you have to judge whether or not that's the truth and whether you approve of it or not by your action. And uh, people tested Paul out, didn't they? Remember, we've quoted time and again that the Berean Christians were more noble than those of Thessalonica. They searched the Scriptures daily to see what Paul preached. Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles, chosen of God, caught up to the third heaven, had revelations that were not lawful for a man to utter. He couldn't put it into uh, human language. And yet, they tested him out. Well, brother, if they tested Paul, how how much more do preachers need to be looked at today? 
Because they preach everything but what Paul preached. And Paul preached the truth. I don't find where any of them found him guilty of preaching any untruth. But at least they were on their toes. When a preacher opens a Bible, you, better, you, you should be out there checking out to see whether he says it right or not. And, and stands true to the Word of God. I realize there's human weakness, human error in all things. And uh, we have to give an account for that. But on the other hand, when you hear a person preach and teach, you know what he stands for doctrinally. And you should uh, make your judgment according to that. And it says, uh, <clears throat> Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Look at uh, verse 135. And here he's speaking for a desire for close fellowship with God. He says, Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. This is a very close relationship. He says, I want your face to shine and teach me thy statutes. Notice the teaching is always brought in. And the, the necessity to know more about God's word is always brought in in this psalm. Even if he desires. See, God's word increases our desire for a close fellowship with the Lord. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes. Verse 136, look at this. Verse 136. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Does the rebellion and the sinfulness of people that refuse God's law make rivers of waters to run down our eyes? Does it make us sad to know that people reject God and God's word, God's truth? It should. Remember, Jesus beheld the city of Jerusalem, and the Bible says he wept over it. He says, if thou hadst known what was yours in, in this thy day, what belonged to thy peace, but now it is hid for thine, from thine eyes. Jesus wept over that city. Old Jeremiah says, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of, of thy people. Because of the sad situation of Israel, Jeremiah says that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears. Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He says, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about establishing their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. See, Israel was trying to establish their own righteousness by works. And Paul says, I, I'm, I want, he says, my uh, heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Romans chapter 9, Romans 10, both of them were quoted. So, if his heart, heart's desire for Israel that they might be saved, they went about establishing their own righteousness. We find people are like that today. People are misled in, in uh, scriptural truth. And you'll have one that's teaching salvation by works, one by a ceremony, one by something else. And instead of trusting in God's Word that tells us it's by grace through faith, someone says, well, James talks about works for salvation. But he says, you see then, and he's showing us the practical side of a man who is saved by grace. Paul didn't disagree when he said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works. Your salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. Then he goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And that's what James is talking about. He's saying this is the practical side of a man that has a living faith. He will have the, the works as evidence of that real uh, deep-rooted faith. 
And uh, so you have to take God's word and study it and understand it uh, as it is given to us. Now, in the next section, I want you to notice, beginning with verse 137. Verse 137. There are eight verses in each one of these uh, divisions. And this one might be entitled, Pure Truth. Pure Truth. And each verse in this section begins with the 18th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse begins with, with the... 18th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That is, if you had it written in Hebrew instead of in our English language. And it's corresponding with our letter P. And the key word is purity. And notice what it says. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. The Lord alone is altogether righteous. Righteous art thou, O Lord. You see, man is not righteous in himself. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why didn't Jesus come to call the righteous? Because there were none righteous, no, not one. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now then, that means that the fellow that thinks himself to be righteous apart from God's grace, he wasn't going to answer that call because he already thought he had it. You see, if a man already thinks he has it, you can't give him anything. It's the person that knows he doesn't have it and needs it that the the Lord will give it give righteousness unto. And so, the Lord alone is altogether righteous. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. It says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. The Bible says further, that there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Do you get that? He didn't say there's, there's not a wicked man upon earth. There's not a sinner that doeth good and sinneth not. He says there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Well, if a just man sins, then what about the rest of the world who are not just in the sight of God? And the only way we can be just in the sight of God is for God to justify us. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4, we quoted it this morning, and it's we should always remember the last three verses of Romans chapter 4 concerning Abraham. And his righteousness, it says, But it was not written for his sake alone that it, righteousness, was imputed to him. But for us also, if we believe on him who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification, then what? Then it shall be imputed to us. It shall be imputed to us also. Righteousness shall be imputed to us. So, righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Notice that God's dealings, God is not only always righteous himself and altogether righteous, but his dealings with us are always right. Upright are thy judgments. He does everything for us right. I'd like to read in uh, uh, the book of Nehemiah, one verse, in chapter 9, verse 33. It says, Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. That's uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 33. Let me read it again. Howbeit, thou art just, and all that is brought upon us. For thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Nehemiah realized that God was right, and we were, thou hast done right. And God does right in his dealings with us. It's always right. Look at verse 138. 
He says, Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. They're not only right, but they're dependable. They're faithful. As to history, we can look back. As to prophecy, as to uh, nature, as to science, as to astronomy, as to the spiritual world. The Bible says we have a more sure word of prophecy. They're very faithful. That means faithfulness in the word of God. In verse 139, if you will. It says, My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. A love for God's word produces holy anger when we see it neglected. Look at that. My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Do you have a zeal for God's word? Does it uh, make you uh, have a holy anger against the neglect of God's word? A righteous indignation? About people making fun of God's word and refusing to hear God's word and rejecting God's word. The Bible speaks of in the book of Ephesians, those that resist the spirit. You and I grieve the Holy Spirit, but some resist the spirit. A Christian can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible says to you and I, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. But it says some resist the truth, some resist the spirit. And here, people resist the word of God. My zeal hath consumed me, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Verse 140, look at verse 140. Thy word is very pure, refined, tried, it's proven. Therefore thy servant loveth it. Why is it that we should love the pure truth of God's word? We should love it, shouldn't we? God's word is very pure. It contains no error at all. When we speak, we try to tell the truth, but many times it's colored with error, or there's words spoken that bring uh, the wrong impression. But God's Word never does that. It's very pure. It contains no error at all. It's like distilled water. The Bible says that every word of God is pure, and He is a shield to them that put their trust in Him. The Bible says, Add not to His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. God's Word is very pure, completely pure, totally pure. Then we find verse 141 says, I am small and despised, yet do not I forget thy precepts. You know, God's Word is able to make little men great. He says, I am small and despised. Remember old Solomon? Solomon came to the Lord and he said, I'm but a child. I'm small. I'm small. I don't know how to govern this so great a people that you put upon me. That I have now the, the rule over. And he says, I need wisdom and I need understanding. And he prayed that God would give him wisdom. God not only gave him wisdom, but he gave him wealth as well. He says, since you've not asked for wealth and all the other things, I'm not going to just give you the wisdom and I'll give you the wisdom. But he says, I'm going to also give you wealth. And the wealth of Solomon, he was greater than all the, the kings as far as wealth. Jesus speaks of him, and you've seen the wisdom of Solomon and the glory of Solomon. But also, he says, a greater than Solomon is here, and that was Jesus. Look at this. I'm small and despised, yet do, do not I forget thy precepts. In other words, I'm still going to stick by your word. Verse 142, it says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. God's righteous nature is always the same. And he never changes. 
143. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights. God's word brings us through times of trouble, and God's word gives us delight in times of trouble. When you have trouble, you can delight in one thing, and that is in God's word. It gives you the the courage to face the troubles. It gives you the promises of deliverance out of your troubles. Paul says, the Lord delivered me out of all my troubles. And you read in 2 Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy, and I want to read a few verses for you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you will. Notice what... I'll give you you one place in chapter 3, and then uh, another place in chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 10, it says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine... They knew what Paul stood for. Manner of life. He says purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, love, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all, look at that, the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He says, I'm not alone in this. Now in chapter 4, let's just pick up with verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Some, sometimes you and I must be willing to stand and stand alone. Paul had to. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. In verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Boy, that's pretty good company on your side, isn't it? Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver, shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Back in our psalm now. And that was uh, verse 143 that we left with. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, Yet thy commandments are my delights. So we need to find delights in God's commandments, even in the midst of trouble and in the midst of anguish. In the last verse, and this is about all we'll have time for, is verse 144. It says, The righteousness of thy testimonies uh, testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. What's he saying here? God's word is a permanent guide in right doing. Divine aid is needed to understand God's Word. He says, give me understanding and I shall live. And we need to, uh, as Paul says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the exceeding riches of His glory and His inheritance in the saints. If you turn to the Ephesians, let's read that one and we'll close. The book of Ephesians, chapter... Let me give it to you. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Let's read verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, 
which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. Uh, raised him up from the dead, no. And set him at his own right hand uh, in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So three things in, in this passage. Three what's. In verse 18, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That's the first one. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's the second one. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Verse 19. 